God, we do just want to continue right now to, to not only lift up our voice in song, but to just lay our lives before you. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in such a way that you call us to bow and to worship you, to lift up our voice and sing praise to you, to celebrate you with every part of our being. And God, we thank you for opportunities to have an expression of how our heart truly feels about you, how we truly love you. God, thank you for loving us before we first loved you. And I pray that as we celebrate your love for us today, as we celebrate your patience with us, your long-suffering, as we celebrate your greatness, God, I pray that you will call us close to your heart as we listen to your voice speak to us through your word now. God, open up the mind, the, the mind of our heart, the eyes of our heart, and let us truly see you and come into fellowship with you in a very special way now as we worship you through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me now and turn to Psalm 98. We've heard it read and we want to continue to not only listen to what God's Word says to us, but we want to find ways to apply it to our life today. Uh, I recently pulled out my Financial Peace University legacy box and discovered that my U.S. passport had expired in 2020. Well, I filled out the renewal form and went to the post office sat down to have that official passport picture made. You know, a passport doesn't make you a citizen of a country. It simply identifies that you are a citizen of a particular country. Also, a passport is it's a document that, that tracks where you travel. If you go anywhere around the world, there are stamps in these passports that that uh, tell the country that you're entering where you've been in the past and what you've been doing in the past. I want us to keep two facts about passports in mind as we look at Psalm 98 today in the context of our worship. Because two things occurred to me as I worked through the passport renewal process recently. First of all, God is eternal. Uh, he always has been never created. He always has been. He is now, and He always will be. Um, his character never expires. His nature never expires. His judgments never expire. His image never expires. I mean, we don't know what God looks like. Nobody has ever seen God, the Bible says, at any time. But we know that His personhood his image, his character, his nature, everything about God is perfect. It always has been, it is now, and it never will change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says. And that leads me to the other thing about my passport. Uh, my passport makes me look terrible. <laughs> I mean, I looked at that picture after I paid 15 bucks for that picture. 
opened it up when I got home, and it made me look old. But the reality is, it looks exactly like I do. Exactly like I do. Fortunately, God is eternal, and he never changes. In John Calvin's, what we would call today, blog, it's called his Primacy of Worship Before Ethics. He said this, and I quote, The first foundation of righteousness, undoubtedly, is the worship of God. Now that's interesting that he would phrase the sentence that way. In my language today, in my terms today, uh, God is righteous, God is perfect, God is holy. And that's how we have to present ourselves before him. Calvin said, The first foundation of righteousness, undoubtedly, is the worship of God. What he was saying was, and I think you've heard me say this before, if you've been around before, but you can't work your way to God. You can't be good enough. Your righteousness will never measure up to the righteousness of God. And so, knowing Him and worshiping Him has to come first before you carry out works that you feel like might please God, might be calling, God might be calling you to perform. So nothing in life is more urgent than knowing and worshiping God. And that's the premise for Psalm 98. Psalm 98 emphasizes that the greatest miracle known to man is God providing salvation for you and me. God has made salvation possible, and He's made it possible for your righteousness to allow you to enter into His presence. And there's only one way for that to happen, and that's what we're going to look at today based on Psalm 98. See, when God saves you, He gives you a new nature. He gives you, so to speak, Uh, a new picture on your passport. And that's a very, very, very important thing to remember. But along with that, he puts a new song in your heart. He puts a new song in my heart. One of the primary purposes of salvation is for you and me to become a worshiper of God, a person who knows him and walks with him and gives praise to him, And then the result of that is the work that we do for him and with him. So true worship is demonstrated by a number of things. Your spiritual passport, in other words, collects evidence that you have experienced God's salvation and that you have become a worshiper of God. For example, gathering like we do here every week with God's family. To worship is a part of the evidence that we know God and we're worshiping God. Singing is a part of the evidence that we know God and that we worship God. And wow, how you did such a great job this morning singing praise and worship to God. Being transformed into becoming more and more like God is a daily part of the evidence. That's one of the the stamps in those back pages of your spiritual passport. The bottom line is, 
You were created for the high and holy purpose of giving praise to God, of knowing Him, and then worshiping Him. And Psalm 98 was written for us to be able to celebrate the righteous reign of God. Last week we discovered in Psalm 97 how to kill the idols that are killing us. Idols are what keep us from exclusively putting God on the top shelf of our life and the top place of priority in our life. And Psalm 98 picks up right there with how to put Him above everything else and why we must give highest praise to God. So as we work through Psalm 98, it's divided into three stanzas with three verses in each stanza. And we will look at these two primary questions as we move through each verse, each stanza. How is God to be praised? And why is God to be praised? So let's look together at these three stanzas and answer these two questions in each one of those sections, those stanzas. First of all, we give highest praise to God, our Savior. Highest praise to God, the Savior. In verse 1, we're told how to praise God. Verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now again, we looked at this exclusively in Psalm 96. And if you haven't heard that message, I would encourage you to go on our church app or our website and pull up that sermon and listen to it because we go into great detail there talking about what a new song is. It was a constant theme on the Hebrew mind, the psalmist mind. The word new very simply means fresh, means renewed. And the Hebrew mind had a very special way of remembering this, understanding how God gives new mercies every day. For example, in Exodus chapter 16, after Moses had led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, they were on their way. They had miraculously crossed the Red Sea, walked across the sea on dry ground that God provided. And they were on their journey to the promised land. And would you believe the people of God started grumbling? They started mumbling to Moses and the leadership about being led out into the desert to die, to starve to death. And so God miraculously provided bread for the Israelites to eat. And the stipulation for providing that bread was that every morning they would gather enough for that day. And then on the Sabbath, they would, on, on uh, the day before Sabbath, they would gather enough for two days. But God gave them specific instructions of how to gather the bread to eat, how to gather the manna to eat. And God's provision was new for them every day. God wanted to renew their bodies and their minds and their spirits. He wanted to remind them every single day where the goodness of God was coming from in their life. The same is true for you and me today. 
We can't bank on last week's worship to provide what we need for God today. We can't bank on what happened yesterday for God to provide for us what we need today because He provides His new mercies every single day so we can be renewed in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits every single day just like the Hebrews remembered that God had provided for them. God loves doing a new thing in your heart every day. And because He does a new thing in your heart every day, you have the opportunity to sing a new song to Him every single day. So how is God to be praised? Well, He's to be praised by singing a new song to Him every day. The first stanza also, the first three verses also remind us why God is to be praised. He says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song for, this is why, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So in Psalm verse 40 and verse 3, the psalmist David testified to the fact that God had delivered him from the miry clay and set his feet on a, on a solid rock. And after this experience of God intervening and miraculously saving David's life, he said God put a new song in his mouth. He sang a hymn of praise to God. He did that so the world might see and fear and trust the God who had miraculously saved David. You may not be aware of it, or you may be like me, you may be very aware of it, that God has provided physical salvation and safety for you over and over and over again in your life. And when He does that, for example, last year when, when I had the surgery on my face, I had the melanoma taken off of my face, and you look at me today and you can't hardly tell it, you know, I can't help but give praise to God for the miracle of healing in situations like that over and over and over again in my life. And you have situations like that in your life as well to give praise to God. So when God does a work like that, then you have the opportunity to platform Him, to praise Him. So those around you will see and fear and trust the Lord like David did. A new song is required when God does something new in your life, and He does that every single day. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, that God's mercies are new every single day. Look for them. Look for ways to praise and elevate God and sing a new song so others can be drawn to that powerful work that He's doing in your life and drawn to Him, drawn to the Lord. I love the fact that God even puts the new song in your mouth. He puts the new song in your heart. You don't have to do it yourself. He does it all. So I would recommend you join me and join the psalmist in praising God and celebrating Him for what He has provided. You know the greatest thing God's provided, though? The psalmist recognizes this. In verse 1, he says, His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation 
for him. God is to be praised highest because of the salvation that he's provided. Why is God to be praised? Well, he's trustworthy. He desires to win mighty victories in your life by his power, by his holiness working in your life. In the Hebrew mind, the, the right hand was a symbol of might. It was a symbol of power. And we all need God's might. We all need God's power. And the best way he's demonstrated that for you and me is through his salvation. Why is God to be praised? Look at verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Bottom line. God has provided exactly what we need. I hope you're aware that you were born into a world of sin. And what does sin do? Sin separates you from God. And as I said earlier, you, you can't work your way back to relationship with God. Your sin separates you in your relationship with God. But by God's right hand, by His mighty arm, He has provided the salvation that you and I desperately need. And that's why we praise Him. We praise Him for His salvation. I pray today that your response to God's salvation will be the same as Mary, the mother of Jesus, when God chose her to bring the Christ child into the world. Listen to Luke chapter 1 where Mary sings a song of praise, she said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Mary realized that God was working a miracle in her life. He had chosen her handpicked her to bring the Christ child into the world. Are you aware that God has worked no less of a miracle in your life by choosing you to receive his salvation? I mean, we look at Mary and Mary was just somebody used by God to bring the Christ child into the world. Your salvation, provided by God, is so that you might receive and celebrate the salvation of God in our world. No difference between you and Mary. None whatsoever. It's by God's right hand, by His mighty arm, that He's provided the opportunity for you to know Jesus and to let the world that you live in, the world around you, the people in your household, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your circle of influence, to know the Lord. But look what Mary's response was. Her response was to sing praise and magnify the name of God. 
And we have an opportunity to do that in a fresh new way every single day as well. Why is God to be praised? Well, He's to be praised because He's provided a Savior for you. How are we doing? We join in Mary <laughs> in singing that new song to the Lord every day. Have you repented of your sinful heart and received Jesus as your Savior? Right now, in this moment, God is offering you His great salvation if you've never responded to the gift that He's offering you. If you've never done that, why don't you do it right now? Just very sincerely. Say, God, I don't understand everything that your salvation includes, but I know I'm a sinner. And I admit that I'm a sinner. And I want to repent. And that means I'm headed in this direction, being God of my own life. I repent of that. I re repent of my sin. And I turn away from my sin and I turn to you, God. And I want to make all of life about you. I want to rejoice in the fact that you are now my Savior. You are now my Lord. So you begin to give highest praise to God when you trust Him as your Savior. That's the first step in giving highest praise to God. Make sure you've done that today. Secondly, we give highest praise to God, the Sovereign. God the Sovereign. We see that in verses 4 through 6. He says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So how is God to be praised? Well, the psalmist urges us to join all the earth in making a joyful noise to the Lord. So with our mouth, vocally, we sing joyous songs. We sing sounds of melody to the Lord. Now I said this a couple of weeks ago in Psalm 96, but you and I don't have to be able to carry a tune in order to make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say sing a beautiful song to the Lord. It says make a joyful noise to the Lord. We can all do that. I might not be able to carry a tune in a 10-gallon bucket, but I can make a joyful noise to the Lord. I can beat on that bucket, and I can make that noise as an expression of worship to the Lord. He says, with all sorts of musical instruments, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, the original audience of this psalm regularly experienced praise and worship in the temple and also at seven or eight great feasts, festivals that they had, acknowledging God as their king and their Lord. They knew exactly what the psalmist was talking about here. You and I have an opportunity to, to do that every day of our life as well. This word Lord is the name for God that recognizes His sovereignty, and we're going to explain that in just a few minutes. 
But sovereignty literally means that under all conditions, God is the authority. He's the supreme. That's what Lord means. Anytime I come to a decision that disagrees with God, guess who's wrong? <laughs> Me. Anytime I come to a decision where God's Word is telling me to change, guess what? I'm the one who must change because God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God in His nature, remember I said earlier, is the same yesterday, today. He's not going to change. And so when I disagree with something, when I don't like something that I read in the Bible, and by the way, if you haven't read something that you don't like in the Bible recently, you haven't been reading the Bible very much. Because <laughs> almost everything about our culture is directly opposite from what God's Word teaches. And so when I see something in God's Word that I don't like, that doesn't make sense to me, God's sovereign. So I'm the one that needs to change. Give you a few examples. Jesus said this. Jesus said to hate someone is the same as murdering them. What? That's what God's word says. God's word says that to look at a person, another person with lust in your eyes is the same as committing adultery. You see, God's word sometimes just doesn't make sense in our human logic. But I have to understand that God is sovereign. So you might ask, what gives God the right to say or do something that really doesn't make sense to me? What gives Him the right? God is sovereign. He never makes a mistake. He never changes. He's always right. He's all-knowing. He knows the big picture. He knows everything. I am just very simple. He has all authority. Have you come to understand that you don't control anything? You might think you do. You don't control anything. God is in charge of everything. So when you read something in the Bible that doesn't line up with what you think, learn to change your way of thinking to His way of thinking. So how's God to be praised? Well, trust His sovereignty. Trust the fact that He's God and you're not. He's God and I'm not. So how's God to be praised as sovereign? Verses 4 and 5 reminds us that we praise Him with shouts of joy, with jubilant songs. Verses 5 and 6 remind us to praise Him with every instrument that we can possibly play and think of. We sing a Christmas song every year. In fact, it's my favorite Christmas. I thought it was a Christmas carol till this week. I learned that I've been wrong for all the years of my life. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Guess what? That was not written as a Christmas carol. That song was written by Isaac Watts over 300 years ago, in fact, 302 years ago, as his paraphrase of Psalm 98. 
And he was looking forward. It's called Christological thinking. He was looking forward to the Savior coming into the world, interpreted through the Psalm 98. And when he wrote this song, he was just paraphrasing what's right here in Psalm 98. He says, make a, uh, the psalmist says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So again, how should God be praised? Well, make a joyful noise to Him. That means that you put into some kind of expression through some gift that God has given you, using that gift to lift up praise to Him. In the mind of the psalmist, that was musical. For you, it, it might not even be musical, but whatever God has gifted you with in your life, use it to give glory and praise to God. I believe that's the principle here. And why is God to be praised? Well, the psalmist celebrates God as sovereign. Sovereign over all the earth and all the habitable world. He invites us to join with all creation and celebrate God's sovereignty. He invites us to, yes, sing a new song to the Lord, to use loud, clamoring musical instruments, if that's our gift and ability, to give glory and praise to God. Let me say this. If you're here today and you can play a musical instrument, or you're gifted with vocal ability, let us know. I mean, we, we would love to add people to our worship team. Our worship team does a great job, does a phenomenal job leading us in worship. But there's always room for growth. There's always room for, for adding to the worship team. But guess what? That's not the end of it either. You may be gifted in working with children. And your gift of giving praise and glory to God might be in, in teaching in some of our children's programs on Sunday or through the week. Your gift might be in, in having the ability and the, the means to, to, to give money over and above your tithe to the Lord. I mean, whatever gift God has given you to be able to uh, enjoy life, use that gift as a gift of celebration, as a song to the Lord, as a, as a you know, beating of musical instruments, Play musical instruments to the Lord. Use whatever you have to praise and lift up the name of the Lord. Why is God to be praised? Because He's sovereign. And He's chosen you to be part of His family. He's chosen you to be in relationship with Him. So give praise to Him for His sovereignty. The word sovereign is an interesting word. Um, in the text here, the, throughout this text, throughout this entire nine verses, the word that describes the name of God is Lord, L-O-R-D, with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Uh, some of you may know that there are two primary words used in the Psalms for the name of God. One is Elohim, and when you see that word, like in, in Psalm uh, 
95 verse 7. You see both of these words used in the same verse. Uh, the word Elohim is, is always just translated God. The word that we don't know how it was pronounced really because nobody ever said it. It was too holy to pronounce the name of God was L-O-R-D. And so we pronounce that either Yahweh or Jehovah or something like that. We fill in the, the vowels and the pronunciation because it was such a holy term for God. God was respected in such a sovereign way that the Hebrews wouldn't even say his, his name. So you and I today have an opportunity, look at verse 4, to make a joyful noise to the Lord. The emphasis is on the Lord. In verse 5, sing praises to the Lord. In verse 6, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. God's sovereign name represents His sovereign reign. And I believe, to the bottom of my soul, that only God's sovereign reign will bring joy to the world. And one day that's going to happen. Only God's sovereign reign will bring joy to your life. Most people look for joy in life in three ways. Through their possessions, building up stuff here on this earth, through their prestige, their power, their influence, bringing attention to themselves, or through pleasure. That's the way most people look for joy in this world today. None of those are created to bring you ultimate joy. In fact, as we talked about last week, those are idols that are destroying your joy. Now, these are not bad in themselves, but they were not created to be the highest priority in your life. Only God can be the highest priority in your life if you're really going to live a life of joy. And that's what Isaac Watts, I think, was trying to point toward when he wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Why is God to be praised? Well, real joy only comes by knowing and praising God. Have you found that joy in your life today? Do you wake up every morning with a fresh new spirit in your life, asking, God, how can I find my greatest source of joy in you today? Because if I look for it in my spouse, I'm sunk. If I look for it in my work, I'm sunk. If I look for it in politics and so forth, I'm sunk. The only way I am going to find the ultimate source of joy in life is to make the worship of Almighty God the highest priority in my life. And that leads us to our last point today. We give highest praise to God, the judge. We give highest praise to God, the judge. Look at this last stanza, verse 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now this might seem strange. 
On the front end of this psalm, we looked at God as the long-suffering, loving one who deserves to have our praise because of what He's done for us as our Savior. But the same God who is our Savior is also our judge. So how is God to be praised? Well, first of all, He's to be praised along with all creation. The Bible says that all creation is doing their part in praising God. I see this every time that I walk along the ocean and I see the waves come in. I see the tides roll in, the tides roll out. I see the power that's out there in the ocean. I see the hand of God displayed in that part of nature. Early in the morning, late in the evening, if you're out there, you'll hear nature making sounds of praise. Where do you think those sounds of praise came from? They came from God. Who do you think they belong to? They belong to God. Nature itself, in Romans chapter 1, is giving praise and glory to God. And so how is God to be praised? Well, we're to sing for joy. We're to join in nature and giving praise to God. I see it every time I go to the mountains in the fall and watch the color of the leaves change. Watch the very fabric of trees change from being leaf-bearing to being bare. I mean, the seasons represent the fact that God is sovereign and He's to be praised. So why is God to be praised? Well, God alone is the perfect, righteous judge. And God judges fairly. The Bible says here in verse 9 that God judges equally. He judges with equity. There's nothing unfair about the judgment of God. At the end of all things, God will be praised because He's just. And he judges with equity. I've served in almost every type of jury panel in our justice system. I don't know why. I guess I had a big target on me when I was in the middle ages of my life. But I've served on the city court, the county court, the federal court in Florence, the federal court in Columbia. I've been on all those jury panels. And what I've learned in the system, the judicial system of our country, is that a jury determines whether somebody is guilty or not. But the judge, then, is the person who pronounces a sentence, who pronounces justice on the case that that person represents. So why is God to be praised? Well, there is a place on your spiritual passport that has a picture. And that picture represents who you are. Verse 9 says, He comes to judge the earth and He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The day is coming when God will look at your spiritual passport and He's going to make a judgment. 
He'll be looking for one thing. Whose face is on that passport? If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open your Bible with me and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I want to begin reading with verse 21 through verse 26 because this is the clearest picture I know of what Psalm 98 is trying to say here. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. He was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. No sweeter words have ever been written. No greater message has ever been presented. A way of looking at this is to take your passport and to take that passport picture when your passport is opened up and God opens up the passport and what's actually there is everything that would keep you from living eternally with God. Your sin. The real you. Who you really are. But because of what God has provided as our Savior, because of what God has done for us to become sin on our behalf and to take the full punishment of our sin, when God opens up that passport, He sees the face of Jesus. And that's the only thing that's going to allow you to spend eternity in relationship with God, both here on this earth and forever and ever and ever. He is the one who is just, and He is the justifier. He has chosen by His own design to take the full punishment and sacrifice for sin on Himself. So when God looks at your spiritual passport he sees Jesus and when he sees Jesus when you have trusted him as your savior when you have repented of your sin and turned away from your sin and turned to Jesus as your only hope as your only identity God's going to say to you well done good and faithful servant enter into my joy in 1834 Edward Moat Got it right when he wrote these words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His path, his covenant, 
or his oath, his covenant, his blood, supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then, my only hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, then may I in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The reality of what Moat saw more than 200 years ago is that life is hard. Life is, is, is filled with sin and struggle and, and temptation. And many times we're focused on things that are around us, our circumstances, rather than focusing on the Savior. But in it all, we have a solid rock to stand on, and that solid rock is Jesus. So if you're here today and you need that Savior, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never responded to Him, Listen to the words of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where the Bible says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then in verse 13, the sweetest words in Scripture, Whoever believes... In the name of the Lord, will be saved. My hope's built on nothing less than the sacrificial blood of Jesus and His righteousness. So God is the ultimate justifier. God is the ultimate righteous judge. In your self-righteousness, you're doomed. But in His righteousness, you're saved forever. That means yesterday, today, and forever. Don't have time to go into this, but in that passage in Romans chapter 3, it says that when God looks at your passport, everything you thought was there, every dirty thing that you thought was stamped onto your passport, God's going to look at it and it's going to be gone. It's not going to be there. It's going to be covered in the blood of Jesus as though it never happened. If you can't get excited about that, I'm sorry for you. We have every reason in the world to celebrate God and the righteousness of Jesus alone. You are saved. So a simple application for this Psalm 98. Psalm 98 points us totally to the fact that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of highest praise. So join me today in just giving praise to God. How? First of all, by giving your life to Him. Why? Because He loves you. He's provided salvation for you. And He's given you an opportunity like David to share that witness with the world. God, thank you today. The desire of our heart is to know you and to make you known and to praise you with all of our life. 
God, how I pray that as we take a few minutes and just reflect on the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart, that we will make sure that we've committed our life to you. Make sure that we've anchored our life in Jesus. Make sure that we have that spiritual passport that when you look at our life, you're going to see Jesus, not because of anything we've done, but because we've simply accepted your gift of your great salvation. God, let that be the story of our life today that we're willing to tell everybody in Jesus' name.